0: It can affect your healthcare costs, but if you work with them, maybe it's going to lower their costs. Uh, Look at EAPs. You know, they can help your employee as well. Maybe you already have policies in place you haven't thought about using. So, I think it's good to retain employees and just learn how to work with them and bring them back up versus getting rid of them and have that reputation as not the best place to work for.
1: Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Today, we're going to dive into the raw human side of human resource management. My guest is Julie Hamilton. Julie is a human resources veteran with more than two decades experience. In 2009, she was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, a chronic disorder that affects about 2% of the adult population. After spending years managing her own illness and related workplace complications, she now helps companies create inclusive work environments for employees wrestling with Chronic Illness. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Julie.
0: Well, thank you. This has been uh, enjoyable getting to know different people through this journey I've been on. So thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that journey. So your experience, just kind of talk us through when you first had symptoms, what that was like through getting a diagnosis and just figuring out what was going on there.
0: Well, um, mine came about, my fibromyalgia came about through um neck surgery. I had neck surgery in December of 2008, and I overcame the pain and stuff I was having from the surgery and the neck injury, but then I started experiencing all over body pain and And I couldn't figure it out. So I was lucky enough that I had a general practitioner that I went to that was familiar with fibromyalgia and diagnosed me fairly quickly. He diagnosed me in March of 09. And I was lucky enough that way because several people, it takes several years to do that. So I was having all over body pain, brain fog, Cognitive thinking challenges and extreme fatigue. So it was just kind of those things. And then I worked in a medical field. I worked with nursing homes and assisted livings as their HR director. So I was in the nursing community, so to speak. And my nurses and staff didn't understand what fibromyalgia was. So, I had to help them learn about it. And so, it was very interesting teaching them because I think in our medical community, whether it's nursing, physicians, etc., they don't receive a lot of training on it. So, I think that was what really helped me.
1: So... You, you started having those symptoms and you were lucky because you were diagnosed pretty quickly. And And I've known folks who've had things like lupus and other things that, you know, dragged on for long periods of time uh, before they even got a diagnosis. And so it started to really affect their relationship with their employer because without a diagnosis, it's hard to, to really understand and, and know what's going on. Talk through just those HR issues. I mean, you are HR, which probably gave you a little bit of a leg up because you understood ADA, FMLA, and things like that. But uh, talk through the HR issues you experienced when you when you start going through it. When do you when do you re- reach out to leadership? In your experience, you know, when you went through it, and uh, and maybe a little bit of what you would have done differently now, looking back.
0: Well, one of the things that I tell my clients um, because I re- have been working with people who have a chronic illness for the last seven years. And now I'm kind of switching that to working with companies because I've heard from my clients that their bosses, their businesses, managers, whoever, don't really understand their diagnosis or are empathetic about it and don't know what they can offer them. So that's kind of where my switches come because I'm hearing from clients, you know, They don't know how to handle me. They don't know how to work with me. What can I do to help? You know, but one thing I always tell my clients, it all depends on your relationship with your boss or your supervisor. Because if they're not understanding, if you start talking to them about an illness, the first thing they'll try to do is try to terminate you. Figure out a way to get rid of you, not necessarily because you have a chronic illness, but your lower productivity, high absenteeism, etc. So, those are the things that I've been working on with both clients and businesses. One thing is job accommodations. For job accommodations, you really have to think outside of the box and take those job descriptions that you get and kind of go through that and look at what task you're having challenges with.
1: Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. And so did you not have any, when you were, I mean, I, I don't want to get away from your experience yet. So when you were dealing with your, your leadership at that time and in, in, in the, the assisted living and assistant care uh, arena, did were they just right on board? Did you not have much of a struggle? Were you that that fortunate?
0: Yes, luckily I was. Oh, I was wow. very fortunate. Um, I had a very understanding boss, and since I was kind of at the management level, I didn't have to deal with different tiers of management, so to speak. And so my boss was very understanding and worked well with me. Oh, that's great. Um, and I know a lot of places are not like that, a lot of bosses are not like that.
1: And and I think like you said earlier it goes to not understanding what they're really dealing with. So what is when you're when you're talking about a chronic illness? How is that different than other illness? When we're talking about chronic what makes it a chronic illness?
0: A chronic illness is an illness that lasts longer than 6 months and is ongoing and that you also seek medical attention on an ongoing basis. So let's say a broken arm is not considered a chronic illness because it's short-term and you only see medical attention a few times in that period. A chronic illness is long-lasting and may get worse over time. Okay? So it would be anything six months, year, or even... Lifelong illnesses, and that you seek medical attention on a regular basis. So that's pretty much de- the definition of what a chronic illness is—anything um, that you can't overcome in a short period of time.
1: We're all aware of things we've seen, you know, in, that are more common, like diabetes, heart disease, cancer, arthritis. You know, we most of us have had family members or or close friends or coworkers who've, who've struggled with those. What are some of the more misunderstood chronic illnesses that are out there? Uh, And, you know, certainly fibromyalgia, which you've talked about. But are there other ones that really that are, by definition, they're uncommon, but that that you see uh, more employers struggle with?
0: I think like lupus, Crohn's disease, Lyme disease, things like that. Another thing that we always think of, well is a disability, well, I can't see that you're disabled, so technically you're not sick. Well, as you said, so many of those illnesses that you talked about and I've mentioned, you cannot visually see, okay? Unless they're walking with a cane, uh, using a wheelchair, you know, anything like that. Most illnesses and chronic illnesses are not visible. So we need to keep that in mind when we're dealing with employees who say they have a chronic illness and learn to become
1: empathetic. And so a lot of the chronic illnesses, I think the most obvious thing that employers will see is the constant fatigue, and maybe the brain mm-hmm. fog, those kind of things mm-hmm. that come along with some of those. Um, but those are easy to, from an employer point of view, just to write off as a performance issue, right? Right, And so, and if the employee hasn't been diagnosed yet, let's start there. If I've got an employee who previously was a, you know, a, a good performer and, mm-hmm. but now we're seeing, you know, they don't have focus at work is how we're seeing it. They're not focusing on their job. They're not, they're not engaged. Uh, you know they got something going on because they're you know, staying up too late or they're doing something because they're tired at work. They they don't you know they're they don't have the energy level that that we need to to move things forward. You know what's that? What is that conversation? If I'm the employer and I'm concerned about that performance, and if I'm savvy enough to recognize, well, pause. And I don't want to get into diagnosing people. Right? Is that's the first yeah. rule? Is it's not our job as 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 leaders. Uh, What does that conversation look like from the employer's point of view? What would you say to an employer who's just seeing that at at the beginning of of, of a conversation?
0: What I would recommend is having the supervisor, boss manager actually sit down with the employer or employee, sorry, and say, hey, I've seen that. You know, in the past, you've been a stellar employee, all that. But lately, I've been noticing you come in more fatigued, you're having harder time concentrating. It seems like you're more foggy in the mornings. Um, and I've noticed that sometimes you can't comprehend conversations we're having or say the wrong words. Is there something going on with you that maybe I need to know about that I can help you with? Maybe approach it at that type of a of a conversation where it's really low key, it's non threatening. I want to learn what's going on with you, that kind of thing, where it's more empathetic, one on one. How can I help you? Versus, I see that your performance is decreasing, and I'm going to have to issue you some type of performance warning or something like that.
1: And in a lot of these, these chronic illnesses, stressors, including the fear of, you know, workplace reprisal or losing your job, things like that can make those situations, you know, even worse for the person wrestling with them. Is that right? Yeah,
0: that is correct. Stress takes a big toll on our body and some of the diseases like fibromyalgia stress can cause that it's one of the leading uh, causes of it besides and it can be hereditary surgery illness accident trauma and that can be with almost any illness as well you know it's brought on by something but it can be triggered by the stress You know, huge amounts of stress on our body create havoc in so many different ways. So if you're having this um illness and then you're having stress from you know I know I'm not performing I know I need my job I got to keep my health insurance I'm going to get written up what is my boss going to say how am I going to support my family I mean just as I'm naming those off I feel this huge weight getting on my own shoulders and it's not even the one that's affecting it so yeah stress is a huge factor in it
1: do you see from an HR perspective or from that, you know, that people management perspective, you know, certainly we've got the ADA and FMLA and even HIPAA implications. And I want to get into all of those, but on the big picture, do you see anything different from the, from the people management, people leadership side with a chronic disease versus something that's, you know, you know, just a, 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 just a regular disability, says the fully abled guy, uh, but, uh, you know, the the disabilities that we commonly think about under ADA. I guess I'm not
0: understanding no, yeah, that, what you're asking well, me, sorry.
1: No, well, well, believe me, that's uh, most of the time the listeners don't either. So um, the, <laughs> the, the, the reality is, uh, but what I'm saying is, is there a different, when we're dealing with chronic diseases from the people management side, is it different than other Illnesses or other ADA-type covered, you know, disabilities? Is there anything different, or are we just going to take the same approach that we are with ADA and FMLA? And it's okay to say, yeah, we are, because that'll probably make it easier for us as HR practitioners to, to implement, but do you see a difference in, in there?
0: No, I really don't see a difference at all. This is kind of off your question, but something that has come up so often when HR people are working with people with chronic illnesses is they don't understand when an employee, whether it's a disabled employee or somebody just with chronic illness or whatever it is, that once they ask for those accommodations, those accommodations are put in place and good for as long as that employee is in the employment of that company okay i had one client whose employer required her to go to the doctor every 30 days to get it updated her accommodations and according to jan which is the job accommodation network it's like no once those are put in place they're there For as long as they're employed.
1: So let's let's dive in then. Um, Let's go start with the I don't know FMLA or ADA. You pick which 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 uh, which one which one poses the biggest struggles for employers. Do you think ADA or FMLA with regard to these chronic diseases? Oh gee.
0: It's kind of a toss up really.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I usually start with Family Medical Leave Act.
1: Okay. So, yeah, so that's yeah because you've got intermittent leave and things like that. So, let's talk yep. about that. Um,
0: when I have someone applying for FMLA from the client side, I really stress to them that their doctor wants them or wants they want their doctor, I should say, to put it as intermittent. And I say that because With, you know, lupus, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia, we'll have those flare-ups, and we don't know when they're going to happen, and we don't know how long they're going to happen. So that's kind of where that intermittent leave comes in. So let's say I'm feeling pretty good, and I'm cooking with gas, so to speak, and I go along, and all of a sudden I hit this wall, and I'm in a flare. Well, my flare this time could last 24 hours, or it could last three days. So that's where it's so important where that intermittent leave comes in. I also have it where employers will deny it because they don't think that the employee is actually sick. And I guess my feeling on that is we have the doctors complete it for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're the ones with the MD behind their names. They're the ones that really know what's going on with me. And I shouldn't have to tell you, the employer, everything about my medical history for you to understand because that should be confidential. Right. So I guess those are a couple things that I've run into with the FMLA.
1: And I think. I know certainly under ADA and I think under FMLA, if a um, if an employer wants a second opinion, they can still they can pay for the employee to go to their own you know to the employer's own designated employer uh, uh, doctor as well.
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: But on these really hard to diagnose diseases that are often you know kind of for a long time fuzzy out there as far as what we're really going to call this does that is that more challenging with. Uh, the employer's chosen GP or, or do those GPs tend to share medical records and, and, and come up with, you know, similar diagnoses?
0: Well, I think as we advance with medical technology, testing and things like that, it will become easier for those second um, consults to come about and, have those diagnoses because like in fibromyalgia now there's certain testing and blood tests that you can use and i'm sure there's the same with lupus and lyme's disease and and those what i call hidden disabilities or hidden chronic illnesses um i think it Uh, There's going to be more testing that can come about that can diagnose those. But I think there's also, you have to keep the lines of communication open within the medical community to share those records and do consults like doctor to doctor as
1: well. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. Most employers know to include a driving history in a background check if the role will require the employee to drive in the course of employment. And certainly Imperative can help employers pull driving histories for both regular and commercial drivers. In fact, we can provide instant driving history information to our clients via our easy to use web application. We can even help employers set up ongoing monitoring of employees' driving histories so that any new infractions or accidents quickly come to the employer's attention. However, even when the individual isn't expected to drive while on the job, there are other reasons an employer may be interested in the driving history. First, validating the driver's license is the easiest and fastest way to actually verify with a government entity the name, date of birth, and address provided by the candidate. Also, if it is revealed that a candidate's driver's license is suspended, the employer will likely want to find out why. Sometimes it's due to a DWI that hasn't even been filed with the court yet, or it may be due to failure to make child support payments, or it could be reflective of a warrant for the person's arrest, even in another state. I think in any case, the employer would be wise to get the reason for the suspension from the candidate and then let Imperative try to verify the info they shared. And finally, if the person won't be a driver for the company, but... They will operate in a role where safety or compliance is important. The driving history may give the employer insight into that person's safety awareness and attitude towards compliance. For instance, someone with multiple tickets for speeding, failure to yield right away, which often means there was a crash, or obstructing a roadway, which is what a lot of first-time DWIs get pled down to, they may not be your best candidate for operating a forklift or other safety-sensitive equipment with or without wheels. At Imperative, our goal is to help risk-averse clients make well-informed decisions about the people they involve in their business. You can learn more about Imperative or reach out to us at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 101, and enter the keyword chronic. That's C-H-R-O-N-I-C. And now back to my conversation with Julie Hamilton. So we've got the FMLA issue that, okay, we're going to have these flare-ups and this employee is just simply not going to be able to be at work, at least be effective at work on these, you know, when this happens and it's often unpredictable. So we want to set up an intermittent leave and we want everybody to understand what the circumstances are. And then we've got the Americans with Disabilities Act. So walk me through what that process looks like when you're dealing with somebody with a chronic illness. Because you started earlier talking about accommodations, and I want to I get into that piece now.
0: Okay. So, like I said, with the accommodations is really looking at sitting down with the employee, going over the, the job description with them, and saying, okay. What tasks are the most challenging for you? What tasks do you need help with? Let's be creative and think outside the box. Because really, when you're talking about a chronic illness, it's not black or white. There's a lot of gray areas that we function in. And so those are the gray areas that we need to look at um, when we're doing accommodations. Okay. And just because I can't offer it to everybody, I I believe with ADA, if that's the accommodation I need, then you should be able to grant it. So let's say um, working remotely or doing a hybrid where I only have to be in the office for meetings. Is it really necessary my job who I have no interaction with anybody, I'm on a computer all day, why is it necessary I'm in the Java or in the office 100% when I can do it remotely 50% or 75% and come in for maybe those team meetings or those once a week or twice a week meetings that we have with the team or a customer or whoever it may be?
1: And on the flip side, that really boils down to the undue hardship issue for the employer. And, and I think a lot of employers are realizing, whether they realized it or not, they've demonstrated for the last three years that employees can work remote without a giant impact on, the, on employers. And you could sure, you know, and we've had the conversation here on the podcast many times, you could drag those employees back uh, and tell them to be happy or go someplace else. But when we're talking about an so, uh, ADA covered circumstance, then they need to tread more carefully around, uh, what really constitutes an an undue hardship.
0: Correct. Absolutely.
1: And I'll interject here that neither Julie nor I are lawyers. I think we both kept our souls. And so we, um, you know, you want to talk to your lawyer and if, uh, and, and make sure you you're acting under counsel's guidance, but, uh, I don't think we're, we're jumping off any deep piers here. I think we're pretty, uh, we're pretty safe where we're, we're talking right now. Any other ADA? Um, well, let's, so we talked about, rem, you know, ADA accommodations like uh, remote work. Any other common ADA accommodations that an employer might even, not even consider up front uh, or, or an employee might be even hesitant to ask for?
0: Another one that I have seen come through is sensory issues. So many people with a chronic illness are sensory um, to noise, smells, anything like that. And is it, Is it okay if they wear hearing protection? Is it okay if they use AirPods to cut out on outside noise? Is it okay if I have to wear certain migraine glasses? Or if I have to wear a hat at work to cut out those lights because they'll trigger migraines? Can we ask people not to wear cologne or lotions or use sprays in their office or whatever because that can trigger things for us. Even in meetings, you know, you have one person talking and you have 20 people in the room and six people are having sidebar conversations. That is overwhelming for us and we cannot focus on anything and we'll just tune out. So, controlling just environmental issues Things that you may see, uh, ask them, why do you have that? You know, is there something I can do for that? Um, Even like traveling, sometimes we have our policies where we attend conferences and it's our policy that you have to share a room with somebody for cost savings. A chronic illness person, that's the worst thing to do because we have to have a dark, no noise, no lights, it's probably pretty cool in the room. I know like for me personally, my husband, I, he says you could f- freeze meat in our in our room. And I'm like, oh, isn't this great? I can sleep, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's just those environmental things. Even, um, for, you know, for traveling, let me have my own room. Or what if you have a service dog? You know, this is something I learned from a client. I had a client who had a service dog that triggered when she had to eat cuz her glucose levels were dropping she so she knew when she had to eat mm-hmm. and when a migraine was coming on isn't that amazing a dog can tell you that wow what is it okay that I bring my service dog to work it's a service dog and it show I have the proper paperwork
1: yeah and and i think in most cases employers are, are clued in uh, that especially for uh, a registered service animal. Uh, they need to do everything they can accommodate there. But even now, we're seeing—I can't think of the term—comfort animals. Uh, you know uh, that aren't really trained to service dogs are are showing up more and more in the workplace. Uh, and so, so those. You know, so just be ready to engage in that interactive process with uh, with your employees and be. You know you Be tuned in to to their performance issues, but also how how the employee is trying to modify their environment. And if you see them doing that, reach out to them and ask, you know, what's the, you know, is there what's going on, and is there something else I can we can do to 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 make that, you know, and it may be something as elaborate as changing the lighting out. I was uh, I would assume in an office and. Uh, or something like that uh, in somebody's, at least in their personal office.
0: One of the keys, I think, Mike, is to keep lines of the communication open and keep an open mind. You know, sometimes we'll go into a meeting and we're like, nope, nope, nope we're so adamant, you know, we have this policy and it's black and white and we have to follow the policy. But let's keep that open mind and those open communications and really see, oh, yeah, you know, with a little creativity, we can help you out.
1: The, the third thing, you know, we've got ADA, uh, FMLA, and then we've got HIPAA. And that really puts the, you know, responsibility on the employer to be Circumspect about the you know this employee's circumstances with other employees, but of course we get that issue. Uh, You know what is going on with Mike? You know he's wearing those those weird glasses, or he's doing this, or or why does he not have to go to this conference or do this trip or do whatever? What is your? Those are always sticky questions for somebody to lay on on their especially their unprepared manager or on HR. Uh, What's what's your pat response to those kind of inquiries?
0: I always think that um, it, it, it's a good thing to say, you know, we, we are um, addressing issues that are concerns that we have with employee and some of those items that we've discussed cannot be discussed with you okay. or something along, you know, um, we're having conversations together on what we need to do to help this employee be able to do their job or improve their performance, not improve their performance, but meet our performance standards. And those are things that we can't discuss with you. You know, that the days of talking about everything about the around the water cooler, so to speak, are gone. Um, and we just have to keep everyone's um, confidentiality no matter what it is.
1: And so, we all know that There's the ADA and the requirement that we make accommodations that we at least that we enter into the interactive process, Mm -hmm. but how an employer is going to define undue hardship varies from employer to employer because every employer is in a unique situation. Every employer has different business controls in place that support or don't support remote work. Mm -hmm. They've uh, they've all got different financial circumstances. Um, You know, Amazon can afford to do a lot of things that I can't afford to do for my employees. At the size of our organization, so um, so all of that gives the employer the ability to to decide what undue hardship is, and you know, and generally, unless they're being really unreasonable, I think the you know the the, the courts are pretty accommodating toward to its employers' positions. So, make the business case for me why an employer should go beyond what's strictly a legal requirement to support an employee who's got chronic conditions?
0: Well, let's say that you have a stellar employee and you know they've been outstanding. You've used them as role models for others. They have COVID and now are experiencing long-term COVID mm. and their performance is down. Well, you know that they can be that person again. You can help them become that stellar employee again. So why not accommodate them? Why not do that versus just writing them up and then getting rid of them? Because the other thing that you have to look at is if I do that, it's more cost effective because think of the turnover costs to replace somebody. It isn't some low dollar amount. It's some, depending on what position, it could be 175% of their salary, because you're talking advertising time to advertise time to review the job description interviews. I mean the whole gamut. So it's and bringing that.
1: that person up, the new person up to speed in this role that the somebody training. else had the experience in. Yeah. yeah.
0: All the onboarding, you know, it can, it can affect your healthcare costs, but if you work with them, maybe it's going to lower their costs. Uh, look at EAPs, you know, they can help your employee as well. Maybe you already have policies in place you haven't thought about using. So I think it, it's good to retain employees and just learn how to work with them and bring them back up versus getting rid of them and have that reputation as not the best place to work for.
1: So what about the, the employer who's looking at the big picture and trying to decide how much Discretionary effort they're going to put in to support this employee, and they're looking at healthcare costs that are going up every year. And okay, if this person is continues as an employee, the the employer at at some level, especially the smaller organizations where they directly mm-hmm. feel the the cost of healthcare, and maybe it's an organization where they they don't even qualify under ADA. They, you know they they don't even have that that magic fifteen. What what would you say to the employer who's who's concerned that? This may just blow out our 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 healthcare costs uh, this year or in the coming years if we if we continue to you know have this person on the payroll.
0: I have a unique answer for that one that not everybody will agree with.
1: That is our stock and trade here.
0: <laughs> um, but I know now there's coaches for individual chronic illnesses, thyroid coaches, fibromyalgia coaches, lupus coaches, have them work with a coach because that coach is gonna help them learn about their illness, learn how to manage it, how to get better. And so their, their absenteeism will decrease their productivity may go back to what it was and they're not going to go to the doctor as often and they may not be on all those medications that they
1: were on at one time. Wow. So I mean we all hear that, you know, how our our general practitioner docs are, you know, buried with, you know, they they can see you for 10 minutes here and they're not going to you don't we don't get what we what we really would like often from from our GPs. Uh, and it's not necessarily their fault, but they are these so they're coaches and, and I think you're a fibromyalgia coach as well, right? And so uh and so you actually give people the guidance on what to explore. Tell me more what that coach really can do for somebody, because you know, apart from the medical setting.
0: Well, for the first thing, we meet with our clients on a weekly basis for about forty-five minutes to an hour. Who gets that much from a doctor?
1: Right.
0: So a doctor may say, okay, well, I need you to go gluten-free, go home and and do that. Well, how do I implement that? Where do I find recipes? Who do I work with? Hmm. A coach can help them with that. I okay. Um, we know that physical movement is one of the best things. Okay. Well, I move... Um, 15 minutes today and I'm hurting. Okay. Well, that's great. But if you do it consistently for three weeks, I'm going to tell you, your pain's going to go down and you're going to feel better. Okay. Well, what, a, what about self-care? I don't know what that is. Or how do I ward off a flare? That's where those coaches are going to come in. They have the training. They have the expertise. They, can, they know what has worked, what hasn't worked. And many of them live with it themselves. So if they've learned how to manage it, they can help you as well.
1: That's an interesting that, and that is that that's a, a different approach to it. But if uh, an employer wants to save that investment they have in that employee and keep that employee pro- productive and uh, part of the team in the long term, then a, then a coach that they can work with, they can you know help that employee connect with, maybe help finance. Uh, Maybe a, a way to to save that investment and and build on it going forward. Absolutely. So, what about additional policies that an employer, as we wrap up here, uh, different additional policies that employers should consider having in place, or is there any special training they should be giving supervisors around chronic illness? I mean, we know what. You see somebody has got cancer and we tell them, okay, you got to follow the ADA and this is what the, you know, while they're in treatment, we're going to do this and we're going to accommodate this. But what about a, uh, you know, a chronic illness, especially where supervisors, like you said, are thinking, oh, he ain't sick. He ain't sick. He's just, you know, he's just, you know, lollygagging, uh, what policies or training would you suggest an employer have in place there?
0: I would actually have an outside trainer come in and, and work with the management level, because that, that's one type of training. But I also think that you have to work with I got I don't I hate this word, the subordinate level or the worker bees mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call them. Frontline. You actually, right? yeah. Frontline. Yeah, you have to work with them as well because they have to understand it. One, they have to understand where to go. So many people don't know where to go, who to talk to, where do I get the forms? So I think you have to work with everyone in your organization. I think you really have to help everyone understand what your policies are, what's available to them, those type of things. Um, Because so many people don't even know that. They'll say, here's your handbook. Right. Everything you need to know is in there. Okay. Okay.
1: And there's, there's one page on, there's one, you know, one one paragraph on the ADA. If, if you need an accommodation, reach out to HR.
0: Yeah. And some employers, you know, if they're big enough, they don't even have a handbook. It's all intranet. Well, if I don't know where to go
1: on the website, man, I'm lost. Yeah. And you get on there and you just Google, fi- you know, or you get on the intranet and look at the company policies and you put the word fibromyalgia in, nothing comes up. So you don't know what to do next. You don't know what yeah, to look for. Yeah. You
0: know? And I think that if you would ask employers, well, do you have anybody in your place of business that has a chronic illness? They'll say, nah, we don't have anybody. But in actuality, four out of 10 um, you, Americans have at least one chronic illness really? and six out of 10 have more than one. Really? So, so if you think about that, um, obesity or, may go along with high blood pressure okay okay the high blood pressure diabetes those are considered chronic illness high blood pressure and diabetes because they're both long term you know probably more than six months or a year things like that so it's really thinking outside the box it's not only the major ones like like cancer or something like that it's the smaller ones that we don't really think about
1: and I guess an employer who's focusing on their diversity, equity, inclusion, would be smart to include consideration of these kind of issues as well. To make you know, because I I like the idea that diversity is is more than just the the most obvious things that we we can see about people with our eyes. And um, and so having processes in place where all your employees can thrive and uh, and where you're recruiting the talent. And, and, and you know that that you need and looking at you know in diverse pools and in and, and places where you don't normally look but all of those things bringing people in who can you know get your get the job done and um and making and building an environment where they don't opt out of our of our organization but also where we give them everything they need to, to, to feel like they belong and so that they can thrive and, and be the most successful employees that they're capable of. And I, I would guess chronic illness is, is just another one of those, another, you know, lens to look, that, look at that through.
0: Yeah, another facet. But what company doesn't want to be known as a great place to work? It helps with recruiting, retention, all of that. So why not have that environment or culture of inclusivity?
1: There you go. And well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me today, Julie.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: And I don't think I mentioned it in the intro. So I'm going to catch it here. Julie's also the author of chronic illness at work. And I'm glad you had that right behind you over your shoulder because (laughs) I did not put, I did, they did not make the bio. So uh, I want to make sure we'll include a link in the show notes to where you can get Julie's book and, and reach out and contact her. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at GoodMorningHR.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at RobMakesPods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.